Welcome to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a program featuring folks around their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Pepin Middlehauser, and I use he, him pronouns. In this show, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. First up in this episode. Yeah, my name is Bethany Humphrey. I use any pronouns and I am a young person living in Maine. I originally grew up on the island in Deer Isle, grew up there most of my life. And then I went to the Maine School of Science and Math, which is up in the county for high school. So I was way up in uh, the frozen wasteland, as we used to call it. Um, And then, yeah, I'm living in Brunswick for the past couple of years during the pandemic. I grew up on the island. You know, my parents were from away. They um, were people who moved there in the 80s. So I, I spent my whole childhood there. I think I was always the weird kid. And I think anyone listening who, like, knows me from childhood would agree with that. Like, I was... I struggled to fit in on the island, but I had, you know, I think I really appreciated the community and growing up there when I was a kid, I played chess for the chess team that was really, really competitive um, in the 2000s. I was always really interested in science and math, which is how I ended up kind of going to the main school of science and math. But then in the years since that, I haven't really pursued a career in that direction at all in any meaningful way, which is something I think like a lot of young people run into is you don't really end up doing like what you think you'll do when you're five or 10 or 15. But yeah, when I was a kid, I I like to spend a lot of time outside. I think I was really curious about the world around me. You know, I wasn't that artistic, but as an adult, I've tried to cultivate more of that and kind of learn how to express being more creative. So so I think it's it's kind of been all over the place, um, as I think it usually is. Like, I don't think that it's been very linear. So yeah, like I said, I kind of, you know, K through 12, I think I was pushed into this kind of like STEM and engineering track. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then when I went to college, I kind of stepped out of that world. I wasn't as interested in pursuing a career in STEM. Like a lot of my good friends and my peers went into computer science or, you know, chemical engineering or fields like that. And at that point, I had already kind of had a sense that wasn't for me. So I ended up studying economics because I felt like I had the math skills, I had the statistics skills, but I thought, oh, like, I'm starting to feel really passionate about the world, the state of the world, kind of environmentally, socially. I felt like there were so many things that were really unjust in the world. And I think I I had this sense that studying economics would be a way to like understand the system better and therefore do that work from the inside. I wouldn't say that that has panned out for me. I would say that that really has not panned out for me. And I I found that that was a really difficult field because I don't think everyone goes into that field with the same intentions as I had. So 
I did complete my bachelor's from UMO in economics, um, but like I said, I haven't really used it at all. So I've, I've worked in a variety of different fields. For a while, I worked in kind of like education research, so helping with professional development for educators. After that, I did a 180 and I did trail work um, for Maine Coast Heritage Trust, so I, I really enjoyed being outside and working with my hands. Um, I still volunteer for the Wells Reserve down in Kennebunk, um, which is a little ways from where I live. So kind of done some more of that like hands-on stewardship work. Um, I just completed an AmeriCorps position at a national park in Alaska, kind of trying out some biology work as well, um, which I have no experience with. So that was kind of a fun trial. But right now I've, I've landed on this project that kind of comes full circle from what I was talking about with economics. The focus is, um, the project is called Youth on Boards Action on Climate. Um, so it's an intergenerational team of folks. It grew out of this year-long conversation, which I was not a part of, but this group of folks, um, half of whom were retirees, like in their 60s, 70s, and then the other half were young people in like their teens, 20s, and 30s. And they wanted to figure out like what can we do to work in solidarity on climate justice and so they kind of started this project the aim of the project is to get young people under 30 onto boards of directors of organizations in Maine that make significant decisions about climate um so it's it's a really cool project because i think i came to it just kind of by coincidence they were looking for someone to work on it but you know, I've worked plenty already in my life and at many different organizations and never really knew what the board of directors does, never really understood who they were, besides that, like, orders come down, like, oh, well, the board put in money for this and the board took away money for this and never really had an understanding of what they did. But I think getting young people into those spaces gives them access to the highest decision-making level you can have at a business or a nonprofit because they get some say in who's the next director, what's the budget, things like that. So it's a brand new project and I'm kind of working on it, dedicating a lot of my time to it with my project co-lead who is in his 70s. Um, so the two of us are kind of like the intergenerational duo, like pushing this forward. And this year we're hoping to get a couple young people, you know, in pairs so that they have some support to try out getting them involved in some boards of directors in Maine and kind of building our lessons learned and figuring out what we can do to make that a productive experience for everyone. So it's a really cool project. And I think, you know, what I meant when I said like it comes full circle is I think for a long time, I was like, oh, I want to make change from the inside. And then I was like, I just can't. I'm too frustrated. Like, these people are never going to change. So I've done kind of other work that I felt was more tangible. And then now this project is kind of a chance to say to myself and to the state, like, can we do this kind of thing? Can we make any kind of significant changes to our actions on climate by getting young people into these very powerful but like kind of closed door spaces. So that's sort of the evolution of my career journey, which everyone's is like pretty weird and circular. Yeah, I think Maine is an incredibly 
special place. You hear everyone say that all the time. And I think what it means to me, having been born and raised here, is like, it's a place that really, for good and bad, it really sinks its roots into you really deeply. When I was younger, I might have called those claws instead. But I have come to understand that growing up in Maine gives you a very strong sense of attachment to place and attachment to people. And I think that's something that I experienced. I realized later in life that people who grew up outside of Maine didn't have such a didn't have such an intense connection to their hometown. I guess I've always felt like the Blue Hill Peninsula and the island like pulls very heavy on my heartstrings. Like it's a place that I simultaneously like love and hate. And I think it was it was shocking to meet people from out of state who like just kind of felt like neutral about where they grew up. They're like, meh, that's just like a place to me. I wouldn't necessarily go back, but I don't really like pay attention to it. So so I think there's something about Maine that really has an emotional attachment. And I think that's why so many people and I and I did this, like I couldn't wait to get out and then I couldn't wait to come back. Um, So you see a lot of people like leave and come back. And I think for me, I've always, I continue to struggle with that relationship. Um, It's a wonderful place, but it's always been a kind of closed-minded and closed-off place for me. You know, um, growing up, I'm mixed race and I always struggled. I always struggled to feel welcome. I always struggled to feel like I belonged. And I have, you know, countless stories of people who would just come up to me and tell me I didn't belong or ask me, like, where did I really come from? You know, which is something you hear a lot, but it persists in my life in the sense that people are often happy to meet me and they're friendly, but everyone has a belief for sure. They're convinced that I'm a transplant because of what I look like. Um, So people will be very friendly, but they'll be like, where did you move from? Like, you know, I've worked front office positions in downtown Blue Hill and been there specifically to answer questions because of my knowledge of the area and people would come in and see me and say no I want to speak to a local and it's like well I am the local like I'm sitting at the desk so that I can give you directions but um people have a really hard time accepting that someone who doesn't look white could have lived their whole life here and know this place just as well and as deeply as other people. So I think it's always left me with this struggle of feeling deeply, deeply connected to Maine, but also feeling like I'm always on the defensive. Like I always feel that I need to prove that I really do know the place and that I really do feel connected to it. So it's this, I mean, it really sucks, this feeling of not having anywhere else to belong because this is the only place that I feel so tied to, but at the same time knowing that no one else will ever really believe that I belong here. And I do think that's changing, but I don't think it's changing quickly enough statewide. So I think there's just this sense that there are 
lots of new people coming here and that's where the people of color are. And I get this even in Southern Maine, even in spaces that are specifically for people of color. It's like the people of color are people who have like come here from other places and then the Mainers are white. And I'm like, but there are, I know around the state, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people like me. And I just like, I want to find all of us and I want us to understand like our place in this kind of shifting dynamic. So I guess that's a little bit about it. I guess, you know, another thing that I think is relevant to talk about being young in Maine is just having lived here my whole life and watching the place change or watching housing costs go up or watching development increase, things like that. But I think I fear losing the things that makes Maine special to me, like the open space and the small communities and the ruralness of it. I think, you know, the the, even the Blue Hill Peninsula is, is acutely facing that challenge right now, even though I'm not there to watch it every day. I think we walk this tightrope of balancing wanting to be conservative about development and wanting to make sure that these places remain places that are affordable, that we could live we have to balance that with not just being xenophobic, not just being like, I don't want more people to come here, which I think is like an easy sensation to feel. So I just feel like all the young people that I talk to are feeling this sense of loss and this sense of trepidation. Like what is Maine going to look like in 40 years or 50 years? And I would just say like, I think we just have to ask ourselves like, what are the things that are important about community and like what things are not important? And like from where I grew up, I'm like having access to natural spaces is important. Having access to, you know, good health care and medicine and schools is important. But like having all the amenities of like I, having the same amenities that I would have living 30 minutes outside of Boston is not that important to me. Um, but I feel like I see people wanting to have everything. And I think that's like maybe just a human thing. But I feel like we need to ask ourselves all like, what are the things that we really need? And what are the things that we really don't need? Because I, I just feel this fear that people that we're going to wake up and say, why is why is progress the same thing as suburbia and strip malls and everything else? Like, why can't we have good schools and good medicine and good resources, but still have this be like a beautiful, rural, quiet, like nice place. So I, ju I just think that's like a society wide thing. But Maine is in this like very unique place that I think about that situation a lot. And I wonder where we'll go. So I guess that's tabled for me because I only have so many things I can like work on as a person. But I feel I just feel like a lot of people express that fear and those concerns to me. And I wonder if there's a way for us all to have more open discussion about that and to do the planning early rather than to wake up 50 years from now and be like, it's too late to fix what this place looks like now. So yeah. My perspective on the world and how to change the world as a young person has changed a lot 
it's it's constantly evolving. I think the challenge that we face is that we bear all the brunt of every action that is taken right now and has been taken for the past hundred years. But a lot of the time we still don't have the say or our voice isn't in the room regarding what should be done. You know, I think the challenge that I find myself waking up to every day is like facing all these minutiae of the things that we're supposed to do. Like, okay, I have to get up and I have to work and I have to make money to pay the bills. And how do I be an adult? And like all this pressure of running a household and making money and surviving. And then like, I think when you're younger, you like know it's coming for you. But then in like my mid 20s, it's really started to come for me, like this burden of responsibility. And then at the same time, like it's hard to find motivation to do those things when I'm like, what we really need to do is face how desperate of a situation we're in. Like, you know, environmentally is one, but also socially, like people are starving, like, you know, class inequality is getting worse. Like I'm a person of color and systemic racism just continues to affect my daily life. Like all these things about the world that I think were always bad. And then when stressful things like the pandemic happens, it just highlights how much more intense those challenges will be as like the dial turns up on how bad like the things we have to face are. So so I guess like long way to say it, but navigating this challenge of being expected to do all the things that the previous generations did, but at the same time, we're facing like a rapidly accelerating crisis. Um, So it's like this thing of like, well, yes, I feel absolutely terrible, like the planet is burning, but I still have to go get my tires changed. And like, oh, did I remember to pick this up at the store? Like, but the cognitive dissonance of being so absorbed in the minutia of like being an adult in this system that just like takes all of my energy and all of my time um, at the same time that like what we need to do is like everyone needs to spend 24 seven like working together to fix the problem is like the only chance that we have. So, so it's just this thing that like eats away quietly at people. And I think like so many people understand it. And like, I think so many young people are asking ourselves like, why are we doing this? It's a trap. Like, it's not fulfilling. But at the same time, like, you feel like you have to keep your foot in the door. Like, I can't, I want to just like, okay, I'm going to go live in a ditch in the woods and like, hope for the best, but we can't really do it. So, so I guess, you know, it's this unique challenge that I feel like we face. And just to add to that, I feel like You know, as I do my career exploration, I can't shake this feeling that older generations maybe had the chance to pursue a career in anything they wanted. They could have built their life doing anything they wanted. And like, for example, and I'm not saying this is a negative thing, but for me, I would feel guilty just like going to study mushrooms forever in the woods because I'm like they're fascinating it's so cool or like oh all I'm gonna do is like study wolves in Yellowstone but for me I feel this like intense burden of like I need to choose a career 
that has the most net positive social impact because there isn't time to just like slow down and explore anymore. Like they're the things I feel that the career that I choose and the work that I put my energy in needs to be something that addresses the climate crisis or at least addresses social issues that would improve people's quality of life. So I feel this like intense resentment at times at people who I feel were older who maybe didn't have to grasp the severity of the situation. So they were able to pursue like whatever they wanted. And I guess I feel this bind that those options are just not like morally open to me. I think my life changed dramatically once I understood what trauma was. (laughs) So I think, you know, our generation talks about mental health so much more than all the other previous generations. But for me, it never made sense. The feelings that I had and the struggles that I had never made sense until I understood that complex trauma is something that many, many people live with and that trauma is not something that happens to you if you were in a war or if you were hit by a car. It's a sum of small experiences that you can have that disorient you, that you don't know how to handle and they can overwhelm you and that that can accumulate into a state of being. So I think, you know, my advice to myself would just be like, I don't regret the decisions that I've made and the people that I have known and like the life path that I've been down, but just to really do my research and be open to understanding like what was happening in my own mind and my own body and just understand that there was a way to feel like grounded and to feel like a person. Cause I think so many people, especially like I didn't grow up hearing about mental health and I didn't grow up hearing about trauma. And like, I think especially like on the island where I grew up, like it was common for me to just hear about stressful, stressful things all the time that happened in people's houses and their families and in school. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I began to grasp, like those things have a serious impact on us long-term. So I just would recommend like, you know, not everyone chooses therapy, but just a way to understand what's going on and how to process it, I think has been the most impactful thing for me in my life. That was Bethany Humphrey, the project lead at Youth On Board's Action On Climate, climate advocate, healer, and a young person just trying to make it in the world. You can learn more about their work at ourclimatecommon.org. You're listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. Nina Duggan. Uh, I use she, they pronouns. Um, Yeah. And thank you, Pepin. It's great to be here.
so I moved up to Maine um, when I was 18. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, then New Hampshire, then Maine, just kind of <laughs> steadily moving further north. Both of my parents uh, grew up in New York City, but they honeymooned in Maine and have been trying to move up here ever since. <laughs> they have yet to do so, but um, it's always been you know, special for our family. And I've lived here, gosh, for I guess that makes it 10 years now on the dot. Yeah. So really, I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, but I like really grew up in Maine, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, a big part of how I got up to Maine was kind of through my education. I mean, I started in Massachusetts and then moved on to a little Waldorf school in New Hampshire um, that I enjoyed thoroughly, which had a pretty natural pipeline <laughs> up to um, College of the Atlantic up in uh, in Maine in Bar Harbor. And most of my education started out really in purely the field sciences kind of ending like in high school and moving on into college and then moved more into field sciences intersecting with human rights, environmental law, environmental justice, kind of moving more into the, <laughs> dare I say, it, human ecological aspect of things. And um, yeah, I continued on in that work for a while after college, um, doing field science work primarily on seabird islands off the coast of Maine, really being more in touch with uh, the Maine coast. But as the pandemic hit, um, I moved into public health and uh, working for Healthy Acadia and health equity work, trying to make sure that people had access to supplies and resources, information they needed during the pandemic. So what was it like going from a public school education to a Waldorf school to College of the Atlantic, you know, for a human ecology degree? And how did you decide that that was the right choice for you? I mean, honestly, it made the most sense. Trying to divorce ecology from the human aspect is how we got into this mess in the first place. <laughs> I mean, that's an also extremely... <laughs> kind of I feel like that's part of like decolonizing science as well is just taking a more human ecological approach. It's not I'm not really sure the best way to say it, but it just made sense like having human ecology as part of ecology like they they are one and the same and you can't study wildlife and just assume that you can take the human element out of it. The things that's affecting wildlife in Maine, especially since the coast of Maine is on the forefront of climate change and is one of the, mo the more important areas to study. I mean, the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than 99% of, at a rate faster than 99% of the world's oceans. And it's important for all life, like on the Gulf, to study it and to pay attention and to do what we can. And I mean, that's kind of what drew me here in the first place. Also, the fact that it's absolutely f gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty hard to deny. <laughs> I mean, I think the hardest part of kind of being in Maine, especially like coastal Maine and the MDI area, is more the seasonality of it. Like there is a definite community here, but it definitely does wane a little bit during the winter and just purely logistically speaking, it's harder to get together with people, especially as the pandemic came in and you couldn't do, you know, the fun trivia nights that were going on or going and hanging out with people. I mean, if 
like especially personally like i have friends and family who are high risk and immunocompromised and i'm not willing to risk them to go and hang out with people who aren't being careful and that made what was already kind of an isolating experience a lot more isolating and especially like i <laughs> i came out quote unquote late in life <laughs> um as a queer person at you know 25ish which is not late in life, of course, but <laughs> it can feel that way, especially coming out after college, where that's where you build a lot of that queer community in kind of more rural areas. And the Bar Harbor Pride is fantastic and de can definitely carry you through like a part of the year, but it is definitely pretty isolating uh, being like a young queer person in rural Maine. And people are definitely out there. It's just a lot harder to find them. Than it is, you know, being in a full year-round community or someplace that's, you know, you know, busy like a city and just has a little bit more diversity. Even in areas that are like considered more liberal, like on the main coast, like MDI, even like during Pride, there are we're still people that we're trying to, you know, not necessarily weren't necessarily great <laughs> about pride happening and i'm not sure if it was locals or tourists i know that <laughs> just through the grapevine some locals weren't too happy about the bar harbor pride happening and also that uh i mean just walking around with my then partner still getting some dirty looks you know people trying to block our path people you know uh like staring and going oh dear like as you're walking down the street it's like come on man <laughs> and yeah i think i mean those are all pretty universal experience and those those are also you know pretty small but it's stuff that does still happen how do all of those realities and experiences add up for you when it comes to maine like do you know if you want to stay here long term or or not you know, I really don't know. I love Maine, personally. And I mean, just in terms of studying the ecological sciences, like this place is fascinating. And again, like I said, really, really important. Like this is being on the forefront of this kind of work. It's definitely difficult <laughs> being a queer person like in this area. Like if you're outside of the Portland area, it's uh, it's harder to find people. So I'm not sure if I would stay in this area as such. I mean, not that a queer community couldn't be built and isn't being built. There are a lot of people who are doing a lot of work to network. But I don't know. It definitely makes it harder. I think lack of public transportation, lack of those kinds of resources. I mean, there's some fantastic work being done by, you know, Maine Transnet and Down East Rainbow Alliance and Healthy Acadia has some programs as well. Like there there are things being done. It just definitely does make it difficult to, you know, be a young person growing up with those various things. And I mean, also, personally, I've got some chronic health issues just like piled on top of there. And that definitely makes it harder. <laughs> it is hard to find um, health care for specific issues just in more rural parts of Maine. Again, I'm saying more rural being basically anywhere outside of Portland. <laughs> what factors have gone into changing the trajectory of your work? I would say world events definitely shaped <laughs> the direction of where my work went. Um, as well as personal events. I mean, I started really strongly in the ecological sciences, again, doing a lot of seabird work off the coasts. Uh, Maine has some fantastic seabird islands. It's really fascinating stuff. And then that slowed down a little bit, you know, in the winter months as it does. 
Uh, I had some personal health issues that hit at the exact same time that the pandemic started uh, that were unrelated to COVID, but not fun, (laughs) which geared me more in a public health direction. And then kind of working like through working in Healthy Acadia, it definitely, definitely helped my politics become a little bit better. (laughs) Definitely adds to a, a better sense of empathy and awareness to kind of just what's going on in the community, especially as things, certain inequities were really highlighted through the pandemic. I mean, not just through all the other things that were going on in the world at large, uh, but just through basic necessities, like, I mean, what what do you do if you're living paycheck to paycheck and COVID takes you out for three weeks? I mean, that's just at a baseline. You have to have some kind of support system and not, I mean, <laughs> the government isn't doing that. <laughs> that's something that we have to do for each other. It's the the importance of communities and mutual aid that helps people get through these crises, not just at, an, at a, you know, global health catastrophe scale, but at a at a personal level and like a personal scale. We just we have to help each other. What's something you wish you could go back in time and tell yourself? I don't know. I mean, I think this is also what a lot of people who come out again, quote unquote, later say, I wish that I'd like come out earlier that I'd had the support system to do so. I mean, my parents were great, but it's just I didn't really know. I didn't have the representation. I didn't have queer people in my community. I didn't have people that I could really see and talk to and discuss. I didn't even really start questioning until I was, you know, 24. And again, coming out at the beginning of the pandemic kind of puts a uh, damper (laughs) on (laughs) going out and meeting people. So I think it would have been a lot easier. I mean, it's coming out as a, it's not just, oh, hey, I'm a queer person. It's so much different. There's a lot of things, at least for me, that, you know, lifted a lot of self-hate, a lot of negative thoughts kind of left. And I was able to, you know, in loving myself more, do more to help my community. And I wish that it's something that I'd been able to come to sooner. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of queer people talk about how no matter what time you come out, it's kind of like a second teenagerhood. (laughs) And it does definitely feel that way with all the, you know, with the goods and bads that go with that. (laughs) But that's definitely something I wish that I had had more of. And it's something that I try to cultivate now. Um, You know, as I'm 28, it's, again, not old, but it is older to still be kind of coming out. I like to wear a lot of my pride shirts. I like to wear a lot of my, you know, protect trans kids shirts. And I mean, even that, even that's important. That is representation I didn't have. And I have, you know, walking around during the summer, you know, every now and then some teen will be like, hey, nice shirt. And it's like, hey, good. I'm glad you get to see that. (laughs) Like, that's, it's important. It's important for that to be there for for people of all ages. Somewhere in there in the Bar of Pride, I meant to say I wanted to give a shout out to the curbside queens because they really just really they pull their weight in terms of like (laughs) queer community and representation in like all of the prides. They just go everywhere. They're awesome. For people in Hancock and Washington County, Healthy Acadia does have a lot of uh, resources available 
uh, for COVID-19 aid. You know, we're not out of the pandemic yet. Something I do really want to emphasize <laughs> is that to protect people in our community, we do still have to get vaccinated. We do still have to mask. And, you know, this is still affecting people. Even if it isn't, you know, killing as many people, it can still give you long COVID. It can still be debilitating in other ways. It... <sighs> This is some, still something we need to take care of people, especially immunocompromised people. We can't write them out of public spaces just because we don't feel like wearing a mask anymore. Nobody wants to wear a mask anymore. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is that we have to take care of each other. That was Nina Duggan, who works in community health in Bar Harbor. If you want any of the links for the resources Nina mentioned, you can go to weru.org and find the show notes for this episode in our archives. This is Pepin Middlehauser with the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU. Next up is this month's featured artist. So my name is Brittany Parker, I'm a theater and music maker, particularly for family audiences and young audiences. I use she, her pronouns. I have a band, it's called B Parks and the Hornets. Um, and I'm also the education manager at the Strand Theater in Rockland. I grew up in Florida, so way down south. Uh, my dad is a drummer. He's a musician. He's never had another job, never had a survival job. He only uh, makes money by playing the drums. So that was a really inspiring uh, thing to grow up with. Um, and my mom worked in customer service over the years, client relations. She was always kind of that person that's like solving problems all the time. And then I went to school, uh, went to college down in Florida, and I got my BFA in theater which is one of those degrees where it's like, wow, what do I do now? But the great thing about that degree is it it really gives you confidence. Confidence to say yes to things that you didn't think you could do before or um, the confidence to try things. So I, I really love that about, about school. And I also, of course, learned a lot about acting, uh, about musical performance, dancing. Uh, and so then after school... I moved to New York City, theater capital of, of the country, and uh, just auditioned for random shows and random things. And of course, had five different survival jobs at the same time. But uh, one of those survival jobs was doing puppet shows for kids and also sort of like mommy and me music classes. And that's where I kind of built a really strong love and passion for performing for young people and also for puppets because when a kid looks at a puppet they are listening to that puppet in a way that they don't listen to humans and I was like this is interesting this is really something so I was in New York for uh, I would say like six or seven years and worked at some regional theaters and kind of went back and forth but then I was invited to workshop this new show in Maine at a residency program. And uh, I thought I'd never been to Maine, so I'll go. And um, it was really cool because the show itself, the it was being written while we were workshopping it. 
I was playing guitar and singing. So I was uh, sort of building up my musician skills. And um, I feel like I was just introduced to this world of like making, you know, rather than auditioning for things. There is a world where people also make this art and perform it themselves. And that's what this residency program was all about. So I kept coming back to Maine um, and I built out this residency program. I learned about nonprofits. I actually helped turn it into a nonprofit, get its nonprofit status. So that was a whole like education in and of itself. And during all that time, I started to create my own work for young audiences. And I collaborated with a lot of great, amazing local folks, local artists, local musicians, and also folks from New York City who were coming through the residency program, folks I had met when I lived in the city. So it was like this beautiful coming together of, of artists from New York who are looking for passionate places to to put their artistry and are and are looking for you know ways to use their voices and then local artists who are looking for those professional opportunities and who are working and growing together and so that just kind of solidified it for me like Maine is where I want to be full-time I want to be doing this full-time and I want to keep bringing great artists to Maine to perform for other people so that's um, why I have this job now at the Strand Theater where I'm the education manager and uh, I basically bring in cool artists to come perform for the kids here and it's really awesome. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have that job. I feel like I was very fortunate as I was leaving high school. Florida had at that time all of these great programs where you know if you made certain grades you just got to go to a state school for free. And I don't know if they offer stuff like that anymore. You know, for me, furthering my education at college was always something that I wanted to do and I planned to do, not necessarily for like the degree, but just because I wanted to learn more. And in particular, at my high school, I did a lot of academic courses. I took a lot of like, you know, AP kind of testing and all this stuff. So, but I did all that so that when I got to college, I could just focus on what I really wanted to learn, which was theater. And and so the BFA degree is sort of like, it's more like a conservatory setting. You don't really have to take that many other academic classes. You can really just be working on your art all day long. So for me, that was the big pull to go to a four-year college to get that experience and and to make connections in the industry because I was really, you know, I was starting from zero. But I do find it interesting in in terms of this conversation as to whether I would ever go back now to a grad school, because a lot of folks, um, even in theater and dance, they'll go to a grad school to get an MFA in theater or dance. And for me, I don't know, because I'm not sure if if I want to learn more about, you know, what it means to be a performer. Or do I want to learn more about what it means to run an arts nonprofit? You know, I feel like it really comes down to that decision of what, why are you going? What do you want to learn? What's missing from your brain that this, you know, higher learning that this money and what have you um, will be able to afford you? And again, I was lucky that Florida had such great programs back then and, and I was able to go there for free. So 
I was lucky. Yeah. And that kind of combination, uh, the figuring out the balance of doing versus learning, you know, do you need to learn more based on what you're doing? Yeah. What would that add to? How would that education add to what I'm actively doing, what I want to be doing every day with my life? And if I can't answer that question, I don't think it's the right time to go back to school. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious if you can speak to specific instances or experiences or just times of your life when you came up against some hard stuff and had things that you overcame, maybe aspects of being a young person in the world. Gosh, there's so many, so many things. So many things, you know, especially being a young person in the arts. And and I do believe that the industry is changing in a lot of ways now. But even 10, 15 years ago when I was in New York um, and um, and working in the industry, you know, there was still a lot of that like sexism. It was still really hard to get to get taken seriously in certain situations. I think about the ways I behaved in with you know some uh even like bosses like the the guy who owned the restaurant where I worked at night and what I put up with that I would not put up with now you know and um it makes me feel really great to know that there are there are so many things that are just not tolerated anymore and I'm really happy about that and I feel like when you're young and you see those red flags Sometimes you want to pretend like you didn't see them or to paint over them because it's bringing you to this opportunity or whatever it is. But yeah, I think more people are seeing those red flags earlier now. And I think that's good. Trust your gut. And if the situation is toxic, get out of there. You know, there is something better. It will be a good decision for you to leave. And I think that's like, that's something I dealt with a lot when I was younger um, and something I've dealt with more now that I'm older. Uh, you know, I'm in my mid to later 30s. So um, it's, you know, it's it's some health issues, really, um, as your body gets older. And and when you work yourself really, really hard, like I've done for so many years, you can also ignore the red flags that your body is trying to tell you. And so I found myself, you know, this year, especially having to cancel shows and things that I would never do um, because I'm being faced with some mysterious kind of health issues and and navigating the all the health insurance and the hospital systems and and all of that as an as an artist or a person with, you know, not great benefits. You know, it's so, so difficult. And I have so, so much more respect now for people that have just who live with chronic illnesses, who have done that for years and years and years and years. It's so tricky. It's so hard. Um, but I'm just trying to listen to my body now and uh, not push myself physically when I don't have to. And, you know, it really brings into question, you know, what's really important for me to be doing? What's what's really bringing me joy? What's what's it, it just kind of brings all that in, into question, you know? Similar sort of question, but moments when you had a a good thing happening, a, an epiphany of, you know, the moment of this is what I should definitely be doing. Yeah, the one that, that comes to my mind and puts a big smile on my face 
is actually the moment that I decided to create um, my band, Bee Parks and the Hornets. Uh, so at that point in time, this was about uh, five years ago now. And at that point in time, I had written a lot of music for um, musicals, you know, or theatrical experiences for kids. And I was writing a lot of the music and I was getting a lot better at, as a musician. I, I'm just self-taught on guitar and bass and ukulele. And so just getting to perform in these shows and writing this music, I, I was really honing some skills. And so I was I was living in Maine at the time, but I went to visit New York City to see a showcase of work for young audiences. And uh, and it was awesome there. And and there were all these bands there and they were just playing music for young audiences. They, you know, it wasn't quite like a show, but there were some storylines. There was a lot of participation, things like that, all different kinds of groups. And I don't know why I just I had a little notebook and I and I just wrote down. B Parks and the Hornets. I was like, it's, you know, it's B Parks it used to be my like in high school, my like swimming name, you know, um, the little nickname that people give me to swim faster in the pool. And um, and I was like, well, bees, and I have a couple of great friends in Maine, Joey Dupuy and Carl Firm, who are also amazing 30-year-old uh, folks in Maine, um, that play the horns. And I'm like, they could be the hornets. This is so cool. This is like the kernel of an idea that we could be a band primarily um, who's telling stories through that vehicle. So I feel like that was a real aha moment for me and also kind of sprung me into a project that I really felt confident about leading and, and being in a, in a stronger leadership role. And um, yeah, and then I came back to Maine and got to work, <laughs> started writing songs and told my asked my friends if they would be down and they said yes and so yeah it was really beautiful you know in general uh the music for b parks and the hornets is you know it's sort of this pop rock sound it's taking from a lot of influences but when i was growing up my dad primarily was playing drums for a um like a motown oldies band so from the time when I was like three to 10, I only listened to the golden oldie station, like, you know, Temptations and like Four Seasons, you know, Frankie Valley and the Supremes. And so that's like the music I grew up with. And I find that I always go back to those sounds, the harmonies, uh, the drum beats, the down beats, the bass lines. Like I find a lot of that and a lot of joy in bringing that into the music. Um, as well as like a little bit of like 90s alt rock or a little 90s punk here and there, because that, you know, it's also um, my favorite growing up. So we're using a lot of those sounds. And um, in terms of the messaging behind the songs, you know, I started writing the music really in early 2018. This was when, as a country, we were really, really just desperate for empathy and that's kind of the message that we keep coming back to is empathy a lot of the songs are they have roots in uh in like the insect world and in science like there's a song called waggle which is how bees communicate with each other you know
And then, um, but then there's also like this tie in to humans. And, you know, you can really see bees and the hive as like a microcosm for a really well functioning society that we can all learn from. And a lot of it has to do with like empathy and democracy within the hive, working together. And also, you know, we've branched out to into topics like speaking up for what's right, um, welcoming your neighbor, um, all sorts of things. But one of my favorite songs is a one that we do called Metamorphosis. And this is one that was co-written by Joey Dupuy, who uh, is just, he's an incredible musician here in Maine, trumpet player, guitar player, all out rock star. And uh, so we co-wrote this song and it's about transformation. It's about physical transitioning. And it's sung in, in the, during the concert, it's sung by a caterpillar puppet. But I just can't stop. Casey the Caterpillar, they sing this song, um, they use they pronouns, and um, and so we're talking about a situation where here is a caterpillar that's transitioning into their true self, into a butterfly, completely different physical form, but a transition that is completely natural, that we see in the natural world all the time. They're introduced as a new name, as Bryn the Butterfly. We call them Bryn for the rest of the show. So it's just, it's sort of, it's rooted in that empathy. It's saying, here's transitioning. It's natural and it's beautiful. And, and here's an example of it. So that as you grow up in your life and you meet other people, things that are transitioning, you'll think that it's beautiful, hopefully. So yeah, that's a lot of the kind of work that we do. Is there anything you wish you had known before now? So something maybe if you could go back five, 10 years, whatever period of time and tell yourself back then that you've learned since then that has really made a difference in your life? You know, I think what's hard about that question is that as you go through life, you try not to have too many regrets. So I think the nature of this question is sort of like, Oh, is there something that you regret that you could have done differently? And I don't know necessarily that there are things that I regret, but just to give advice to my younger self, I would say to not be afraid to stand up for yourself. And I had been in a lot of situations where I made the decision that was right for the group or the decision that made someone else feel better or the decision that someone else wanted me to make. So to just tell myself to not be afraid to make the choice that's right for me. You know, even the times in my life where I faced the adversity or I've had even experiences with 
some trauma. It's like that comes into my work. That's changed who I am as an artist. That's changed who I am as a person. And I, I like a lot of those parts of me. So I wouldn't want those parts to be any different. That's very profound. <laughs> I have a really great therapist too, which I'm, awesome. <laughs> which I'm happy to please share because therapy is awesome. And I love my therapist and she got me through such hard times. She got me through the hardest time of my life. But what she's really taught me is just to be compassionate for yourself and all the decisions that you've made up to this point and the decisions you're going to make in the future. So big ups to my therapist. <laughs> Love her. That was Brittany Parker. If you'd like more information about her and Bee Parks and the Hornets, you can go to brittanyparker.com or go to beeparksandthehornets.com. That's B-E-E parksandthehornets.com. My name is Pepin Middlehauser, and this has been the Next Wave Radio Hour. I want to give a huge thank you to my guests today, Bethany Humphrey, Nina Duggan, and Brittany Parker. Thank you to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Sakaritis. You can find the archive of the show at weru.org and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. I'd love to hear from you. Next Wave Radio Hour airs on the fourth Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Until next time, stay safe out there.